hey, we're going to continue our sermon series to the Gospel of Luke. And that uh, thing that we were just singing about, about trusting in God, no matter what happens, even if it's different than we were expecting, is exactly what we're heading into here in Luke chapter 7. We've been in this uh, book for a number of weeks, the Gospel of Luke here, Luke's account of Jesus's life. And we're about a year into Jesus's public ministry, which means Jesus has some history with people. It's been a long time since chapter 3 that we've talked about John the Baptist, but he's going to be our focus today. And if you remember, back in chapter 3, Luke very briefly just spends about one verse, chapter 3, verse 20, to tell us, oh, by the way, John the Baptist is in prison. You know, it's just kind of this like out there verse, and then it's almost like out of context, it seems. But we actually need that context to understand fully what's happening here in chapter 7. So follow along with me. It's in Luke chapter 7. If you have your paper Bible, I invite you to head there now. If you're using the YouVersion Bible app, remember, you can always click the More Then Events tab, and then you can find us, Hillside Missionary Church, in today's service. And you can follow along right there with the sermon notes and everything. Luke chapter 7, verses uh, starting in verse 18. This is what it says. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord. Are you one the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent to us, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And in that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered to them, Go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Now, what, what then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. So what then did you go out to see? A prophet, yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messengers before your face and will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When the people heard this, the tax collectors too, they declare God just having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for they themselves not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? Are they like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another? We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge for you and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. And you say, he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Kind of a strange passage. If you're anything like me, you read through this and you go, huh, what's going on here, right? Like, and, and it's so tempting just to go, okay, well, John had a weird thing happen and then Jesus addressed it and let's move on. But I think what is happening to John happens to many 
of us. So before we dive into this, let's just go before the Lord one more time, asking to soften our hearts to whatever it is that he has for us. Because remember, we believe that this uh, scripture, God's word is perfect. It's authoritative over our lives, meaning what it says goes. And so God has given us the things that we need. I think it's really important, the thing that is in this passage of scripture. We're going to talk about that, but let's pray first. Father, once again, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you've given it to us as a love letter to each and every one of us to explain the relationship that you desperately want to have for us and the lengths at which you went to sacrifice to get that relationship with us. Jesus, we thank you. Help us to accept that relationship, that transforming power that you want to give to each and every one of us to be less like us and more like you. Help us to do that. Help us to be transformed, to be less like us and more like you each and every day. And Jesus, it's in your powerful, life-changing name we pray. Amen. Have you ever been disappointed in something? Of course you have, right? Like life is full of disappointments. And I found this, that when it comes to disappointments, more than likely you are uh, more disappointed in something that you are heavily invested into. Let me put it like this. You ever go through the drive-thru and you order a hamburger and you ask for no pickles because pickles are gross and you get around there and you open it up and you're really excited and you're about halfway into the hamburger and then all of a sudden you get that bite and you know what's in that bite? A pickle. And you're like, oh man, are you kidding me? Come on. But you know, you take it off and you go, oh, ugh, they forgot. And you keep eating it because it's not that bad, right? Even though it's got like the pickle juice on the bun, you can still kind of taste it, but it's not that bad, right? So you eat it and you're a little disappointed, but it's not that big of a deal, right? Because when you spend $2.99 on a hamburger, it's not that big a deal. You get on with your life. Other things in life, you get bigger disappointments, right? You bought a lemon of a car, and you thought, oh man, this car is going to be awesome. So you spend like 10,000 bucks on it. And you're like, this is going to be great. You start driving it and it breaks down like a month later, right? And every single month, it's like, oh, there's another problem. There's another problem. It's constantly in the shop, right? Well, you're a little bit more disappointed. I find that the most disappointment that we have are things that can't be monetarily uh, done, right? Like, because at the end of the day, you can buy another hamburger, you can buy another car. But those relationships that we have, that's where we get a lot of disappointment, Right? when we have a different relationship with our adult child than we thought that we would have, right? When they're little and we dream about when they get old someday and they get their own house, they become married and we get grandchildren, right? We dream about that and not, all, uh, not always does it turn out that way. Not always does it turn out the way that we dreamed in our head. Not always does our marriage turn out the way that we had wanted it to at one point. Not always do our jobs and our careers and our lives turn out the way that we had thought that they would. We get disappointed, right? I think the most uh, investment that you can possibly have is to your eternity and your faith in God. And therefore, I think that the biggest disappointment that you could have is when you build something up in your mind and you say, oh, this is going to be awesome. God is going to do this for me. It's going to be great. And then it doesn't happen. And oftentimes it's difficult to talk about that, right? I mean, even just talking to you about that, I feel like, oh man, that, that almost feels like dirty coming out of my mouth, like being disappointed by God, right? Because God is perfect and he's all powerful and he's all loving. And so we could say, okay, how could we be disappointed by God? And so oftentimes what do we do? We just kind of shove it back down and we go, oh, that's, I can't talk about that. That's, oh, that just feels kind of wrong. It feels kind of dirty to talk about that. So um, let's just not think about that, move on and get on with our day. 
The problem is, whenever we do that, whenever we just shove thoughts down, what happens? That pressure builds up. Married people, you get this, right? Like you go into the, to the bedroom, there's a wet towel on the bed. Oh, come on. Then you go into the bathroom and, oh, the, oh he left the toilet seat up again. And you get this and then you get that and then you get this. And then you're like, all this stuff built in. And then there's a straw that breaks the camel's back. And you're like, I can't believe you did this, right? And it just blows up. The same thing can happen with our relationship with God. The same thing can happen where we go, I'm just not going to talk about that. I'm not going to address that. I'm not going not, not to go there in my brain. And then what happens? That pressure builds up. Have you ever known someone who's a deep Christian or you thought that they were and they left? And they said, I, I can't do this Christian thing anymore. I'm not going to do this. I'm not, not going to do this whole Jesus thing anymore. It breaks our hearts, right? Oftentimes I find that what happens is they have these disappointments of God and they refuse to acknowledge it. If you've ever been disappointed by God, you're in good company. John the Baptist was. Did you catch when at the beginning of this, he actually sends two of his disciples to ask Jesus, are you actually the Messiah? Are you the coming one or should we look for another is the exact phrase that he has his disciples say to Jesus. I want you to think about this just for a moment because John's whole job in life, his whole purpose in life is to prepare the Israelites to accept Jesus. Like that is his whole job. That's why he was born. And yet, this is the same guy who's saying, are you really, are you the Messiah? Like, are you him? And just a year ago, back in chapter 3, what did John do? He baptizes Jesus. He sees this miraculous uh, sign where he sees all three persons of the Trinity, right? We see him baptizing God the Son. We see him hearing from God the Father, this is my Son who, with whom I am well pleased. And we see the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, right? We see this uh, just amazing picture. Whenever you see all three persons of the Trinity in one scene scripturally, this is just a magnificent magnificent. See, it's very, very important. John saw one of those. He experienced it firsthand. And yet, just a year later, he's going to Jesus and going, are you really the one? Like, this is not how I thought things were going to turn out. So in order to fully understand what's going on here, we got to kind of know the context of John's life. And we don't get that from Luke's account. We actually get a lot more information from Mark's account, though, in Mark chapter 6. If you're interested in that this afternoon, go and read Mark chapter 6. Let me just quickly summarize what John's life looks like right now. There's a guy in charge of Rome. His name is Herod. Herod's life, if you like soap operas, is crazy. I mean, you take like Days of Our Lives. I never watched it, but I've heard it's a soap opera. Anybody fans? Or maybe I shouldn't be asking you. Shane, to raise your hand. Anyway, so like this, I mean, his life is just a mess. It's soap opera to the extreme. If you like soap operas, I would recommend studying this guy's uh, family because you will have lots of entertainment. But his life is just crazy. He ends up actually marrying his brother's wife. I know, soap opera to the extreme. John the Baptist, he has some following. He has some footing. He has a lot of people's attention. And so he calls out Herod and he goes, hey, that's wrong to marry your brother's wife. Rightfully so, right? And what happens to John? Herod obviously doesn't like that. And so he throws him in prison. Now, it says in Mark chapter 6 that Herod is actually kind of afraid of John because he realizes that God has sent him, and so he doesn't go through with killing him. He just keeps him in prison. 
So John, think about this, has gone from this miraculous scene, this miraculous scene of seeing all three persons of the Trinity. Now, and remember, he has been out in the desert. He's been eating bugs. He's been wearing burlap. Like this is an eclectic dude to say the least, right? And so he's been out in this wide open space. He's been telling people about Jesus. Life is going great. And then he goes to jail for a year. And he's sitting in prison. In prison back then, it's not comfortable. I get that's not comfortable today. Back then, it's even more uncomfortable. People have to bring him food. His disciples have to come visit him and give him food. And so eventually, I could just imagine him after going from this miraculous scene out in the desert of baptizing Jesus himself to being sat in a prison cell for a year. Is it any wonder that he would start to question Jesus and say, is this really it? Like I thought Jesus would come and he would give uh, freedom to all of us. I mean, that's what the scriptures had foretold, right? Like he would give us freedom. And yet Rome, the, the, the guy in charge of Rome, Herod here, he's imprisoned me. I thought Israel was going to be set free from Rome. What is going on? Is Jesus really the one? And so he tells two of his disciples, hey, go to Jesus and ask him, hey, are you really the one? John is obviously disappointed in the way that life turned out. So if you're disappointed in the way that life has turned out so far, again, you're in good company. If you're disappointed in what God has done for you, you're in good company. John the Baptist was disappointed. But I want to look at this story. And I want to point out four things that when you're disappointed, because let's be honest, every single one of us will go through some type of disappointment that we are disappointed at God at some point in our lives. We'll all go through that. Now, whether we acknowledge it or not, we will go through it. We'll be disappointed, even if it's just seasonally. And we go, you know, we, we get older and we go, we can look back. And we go, okay, I see what God was doing. Some of us will have that experience. Others of us will have experiences where life in general is just a massive disappointment. We never get to the point, this side of heaven, where we're looking at life and going, God, what are you doing here? I don't understand this. But if you're in that point, any of these camps, John is there now. He's disappointed, but he does a few things and Jesus does a few things that I want to point out. Here's the first thing I want to point out. Instead of John sitting in prison and stirring in his anger, right? He could have done that. He could have gone, I can't believe Jesus. Can you believe this? He's a moron. Like, I, can you believe what he is doing? I, I am just over it. I'm just going to sit in prison and I'm going to be angry. And you know what? Disciples, you can just, just go do whatever you want. All this work was for nothing, basically. Right? John doesn't do that. He doesn't start getting an, an, into his anger and just going on and on and on about it. What does he do when he's disappointed by God? He gets two of his disciples. He can't go himself, but he gets two of his disciples and he says, hey, I want you to go to Jesus. When you're disappointed with God or disappointed with anyone, really, is your uh, go-to to, 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 to go to someone when you're disappointed with them? When you're disappointed with your spouse, is your uh, knee-jerk reaction to go and talk with them? Oh, probably not. Usually it's to kind of go, oh, I'm not going to talk to you. I can't believe what you did, right? It's the same with our relationship with God. But what John does here, I think, is very, very important. He simply goes to God. And I know it sounds so basic, but when we're disappointed by the Lord, when we're disappointed in what God has done, here's what I need you to do. I need you to spend some time in prayer and just go to God. 
And I get that that sounds so basic and you're like, okay, Pastor Josh, let's move on. But this is really, really important that many of us who are disappointed in the Lord will just stew in our anger and we'll go, I don't want to talk to God right now. I don't want to do that. There's a guy in the Bible in 1 Samuel. His name is David. He's the second king over Israel. And God told him that he would be the king of Israel. But before he is the king of Israel, what happens is the current king of Israel, Saul, chases him around and around and around and tries to kill him a bunch of times. I, this is not what I would expect if God told me, hey, you're going to be the next king of Israel. I would not think that that's how it's going to come. And yet, if you read through the Psalms, David wrote many of the Psalms. He comes around to the point where he's constantly going to God. He writes this in Psalm 34. I sought the Lord, look at this, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. We have to, even in our disappointment, say, what are you doing here, God? And we may not always get the answer that we like. But here's what we do know is that God always answers prayer. may not always be the answer that we want to have, but we know that God always answers prayer. Even when we're disappointed by the Lord, we have to go to him. And look how Jesus answers John when, when he asks him, hey, are you really the one who's supposed to come? Jesus does this. It's so good. It says when the, when the men asked him, it says in that hour, look at verse 21 with me. In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. Now, I want you just to think about what's going on. Like the disciples asked this question and Jesus, I mean, right from the get-go, uh, the disciples may have thought, are you ignoring me? Right? Like, hey, Jesus, are you the one? He, he would just do this. Right? Like that doesn't feel good right away. But Jesus says, hey, look at, look at what I'm going to do. I'm not going to answer you with mere words. Anybody could have words, right? Anybody could say, yes, I'm the one. Of course I'm the one. In fact, if you're really thinking about this scene, I mean, Jesus has every right to be mad at John, right? Oh, are you kidding me, cousin John? Dude, didn't, dude, come on, look at me. It's me, Jesus. Are you kidding me? Yet Jesus doesn't get mad. He genuinely answers John in his disappointment. And look at this. He says, he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. If you take the Messiah prophecies that happen in the book of Isaiah, like in chapters 26 and in chapters 31 and 56, there's all of these Messiah prophecies. Jesus it fulfills every single one of them. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you think John, whose purpose, whose sole purpose in life is to prepare the way for God, to prepare people's hearts for Jesus, to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, do you think that he would have had these passages memorized? I think that he would have. I think that he would have had these passages, uh, on, uh, right, I mean, like uh, completely memorized, that he would have read these over and over and over and over again, that this is what the Messiah will do. Jesus quotes these prophecies. And he says, hey, I don't want to just tell you that I'm Jesus. I want to show you that I'm Jesus. Let me show you. And he hits on these deep-seated, memorized passages that John has. What is Jesus doing? He's grounding John back in Scripture. And he says, "Not. I just don't want to tell you. I want to show you that I'm Jesus. 
we serve a good God. We serve a good God who we come to and he could have every reason to be mad at us. But he says, instead of being mad, I'm a good father. I want to accept you and I want to genuinely answer your questions. And as I do, I want to ground you back in my word because this is the main way that I reveal myself to you through my word. So when you're disappointed in God, here's the second thing I want you to do. I want you to ground yourself in scripture. I want you not only to pray by going to God, I want you to go to God in scripture and say, okay, what is, what is God up to? Let me read about what he's done before. Because this is so good. Have, have you ever like spent a season of your life where you uh, have not read God's word for a while? Most of us have gone through that season of our life where we've read God's word and then we kind of went out of it and then we kind of gotten back into it at some point. Many of us have gone through several of those cycles before, right? But what happens when you uh, spend an extended period of time outside of God's word? Your brain tends to forget what God has done. My guess is that John probably does not have his scrolls with him in prison. And what Jesus is doing is he's saying, hey, I want to ground you in scripture. I want to remind you who I am, truly who I am. This is what we know about God's word, that it is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, and that we may be complete and equipped for every good work. That's what 2 Timothy tells us. So Jesus grounds John back in scripture. And then the disciples leave. And this is what Jesus says about John to all of the people there. This is just so good. Look at what Jesus says to the crowd. He says, what'd you go to the wilderness to see? And he goes, a reed shaken by the wind. Essentially what he's saying is, uh, I think of this as like a politician. It's just shaking, you know, whatever was popular, they go to, they flee to, right? And he goes, no, that's not it. Well, what did you see? Uh, you go to see a man that's dressed in nice clothing. He goes, no, that's kings. They don't live out in the desert. You went to go see a prophet. And he says, hey, it's even more than a prophet. This is who it was foretold about. Remember, even John the Baptist has prophecies about him in the Old Testament. And then Jesus says, I tell you, and this is just so good. Among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So what is Jesus' opinion of John? After John came to him through his disciples and asked, are you really Jesus? Are you really the Messiah? Jesus genuinely answers him. And then he clears it all for everyone to know, hey, John's still a great prophet. John's still a great dude. Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. And then he says, hey, listen, when you're in my kingdom, when you love me, guess what? Remember how I view you. Remember how I view you, that I am your father and I love you. I am your God and I love you. What is Jesus doing here? I think what he's doing is he's reminding him how he sees him. And when we're disappointed by God, we have to remind ourselves, hey, how does God see me? Because so many times when we're disappointed, right? Think about how you think of yourself. Oh, man, disappointed by God. Oh, I can't believe I'm even thinking about this. I can't believe I'm even doubting God's goodness here and God's plan. Like, oh, man, like I'm just an awful person. Think about how God views you that you're his child. Parents in the room, I want you to think about this. Has your child ever done something wrong? 
No one has angels as for children. Okay, good. Your house is the same as mine then. Um, so like our kids mess up, right? They're, they're just kids, right? They, they do things. They make bad decisions. That's okay. They're, they're just kids. But our job is to train them to be the men and women that God created them to be. But I want you to think about even when your kid really massively messes up, you still love your kid? Of course, right? Is that even a question? Of course. Of course you still love them. Think about if you can do that as a fallen human being, how much more does our Heavenly Father love us even in our mess-ups, even when we sin, even when we go through seasons of life where we're addicted to sin? God says, I still love you. I still want to be in a relationship with you. And so when you're disappointed by God, I want you to remember, I want you to remember God's view of who you are that God loves you, that he's your father, and he still wants that relationship with you. And then Jesus has one last thing to say to this crowd then. He says, what then shall I compare this generation and what they are like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace calling on one another. We played a flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. That dirge is something that they would sing at a funeral. And so what Jesus is getting at is he's saying, hey, like, it seems like we can't do anything for you. It seems like whatever we do, it's not good enough because you're still not coming to me. Jesus goes on and he goes, hey, John the Baptist, he came eating no bread, drinking no wine. And you say to him, he has a demon. And then on the flip side of things, right? Because John basically stripped himself of every uh, comfort in life. And Jesus, it says that he came, he came eating, drinking. You say, look at him. He's a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He goes, hey, there's nothing that we're doing that's making you happy. And then he ends it by saying this, kind of this curious saying. He says, yet wisdom is justified by all of her children. So what she, or what is, what is Jesus saying here by saying wisdom is justified by all of her children? What does, that, what does that mean? I think what Jesus is getting at is he's saying, hey, look at the outcome of what you're doing. Look at the outcome of what I'm doing. Look at the outcome of what John is doing. And you can look at these outcomes and you go, huh, what I'm doing in my life hasn't been working. But what Jesus is doing is maybe I need to be less like me and more like him. He's saying, hey, I need you to actually be affected by what I'm saying to you. I need you not to just hear me, not to just read my word, but actually be affected by who I am. So here's what I want you to do when you're disappointed by God. When the Lord, you pray to him and he doesn't take away the disease. When you pray and yet your loved one still passes away. When you go to him and you beg him to fix your marriage and your marriage is still messed up. And you go to him and you beg him, please help me with my relationship with my kid. And that relationship is just not what you had thought. When you're disappointed in God, here's what I need you to do. Not only go to him, not only ground yourself in his word, not only remember how he sees you, but also I need you to trust in his plan. Trust in God's plan. There's a, a point in Israel's life in the Old Testament where they have their land and yet they are unfaithful with what they have. They are unfaithful with what God has given to them. And so because of that, they're kicked out. 
They're kicked out of Israel. They're exiled. It's called, it's known as the exile, exile, I'm sorry, I can't talk right now. The exile point of the Old Testament. Israel is literally kicked out of their land. And this is a low point for them. And the prophet Jeremiah comes in, and many of you know this, Jeremiah 29, 11. But did you know the context of this? The context is when they are out of there and everyone's freaking out. Everyone's freaking out and said, I messed up. I messed this up. And you know what? Um, I don't know. I don't know what I'm even going to do. I might as well just go in a hole and die, right? Because I just messed up everything massively. And God says, no, 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 no. I still love you. Here's what I want you to do. Make a house. Grow a garden. Have kids. Get a job. Go live your life and love me. Why? Because it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil. Plans to give you a hope and a future. This is what God declares to you, even when you mess up, just like Israel did. Just like Israel did, they are exiled out of their beloved promised land. And yet God still says, hey, I want you to keep on going. I need you to trust that I have a plan for you. A plan to give you hope and a future. Romans 8.28 promises us this, that we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. What if the things that you are disappointed in God over right now, those very things that you are disappointed in, that didn't turn out the way that you thought that they would turn out, what if God is going to use those things for your good and his glory? What if, even though we have messed up, people around us have messed up, and we're dealing with all those consequences right now, what if God still has a plan? And he says, yeah, I know you messed up. I didn't want you to do that. I didn't want other people to do that. I still have good for your life. I want to take those evil things, and I want to turn them for good. I still have a plan for you. God declares that over your life. So wherever you're in, in, in right now, whatever season of life, whether you're thinking, man, I'm disappointed by God. Maybe you're saying, man, life just didn't turn out the way that I thought life would. Well, let's be honest. It's 2021, right? Did anyone think that we'd be here sitting in 2021, the past year, things that worked out, right? I mean, none of us could have imagined that all these things would happen. And yes, God still says, I need you to trust me. Just like that song we talked about earlier, that we all sang together, I trust in you. Why? Because we serve a good God. We serve a faithful God who says, even in your disappointment, I want you. And I want to have conversations with you. And I want to hear your heart. And I want to show you. I don't want to get mad at you. I want to show you who I am. By the things that I do, I will show you who I am. I'll ground you in my word, and I want to remind you who you are, that you are a child of God whom I have a plan for. We need to trust that even when it's really difficult, even when life gets really hard, even when we're facing a lot of disappointments. God says, I still have a plan for you. I am faithful. Trust me. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you so much that you are a good God. A good God who loves us and has a plan for us. 
doesn't leave us out just to figure it out on our own, but who says, no, you are my son. You are my daughter. And I have a plan for you. God, we thank you for that. God, we thank you so much for sending your one and only son to die on a cross, that we could have that relationship, that we could have that plan, that we could be called a son and a daughter of you. We thank you. We thank you for that. Help us to live our lives in a way that responds to you by glorifying you. Even when things don't turn out the way that we thought that they would turn out. Even when we look around in our life and we go, man, I, I don't know what's going on here. God, would you remind us of how you view us? And remind us of your plan. That you're working all things out for our good. For our good and for your glory. So God, help us to live for your glory. Help us to be transformed by who you are. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.